The sound of the Puyuma tribe on Radio Taiwan International. Ladies and gentlemen, here's Shirley Lin with In the Spotlight. Welcome to In the Spotlight. I'm Shirley Lin. And today my guest is David Ting, who is the founder of a cram school in Taipei called SK2 TOEFL. And, um, you know, his major was uh, in foreign languages and literature at the the top university in Taiwan that would have been uh, National Taiwan University. Anyway, let's welcome David. Hi, David. Hello, Shirley. Yes. Thank you so much for coming in. And you know what? Um... I think I find you your life to be, you know, uh, worth talking about. So we'll start from the top. You know, it's just like, okay, for well, you studied uh, foreign languages and literature in NTU. Mm-hmm. Um, was that your interest? I mean, it was really your interest from the very start. Right. Uh, I think when I was a kid, I realized I had a lot of interest in learning about different cultures and different languages. That's when I decided that in the future, I might want to study, learn different languages and I was interest, really interested in reading different books as well by different authors. So I realized also that literature would be something that I wanted to devote my life to. So uh, when I was in university, I started writing as well. And I started reading from different languages, from different authors. So yeah, I would say it was my interest. But translated versions of those books, right? Because you read in Chinese better than other languages. Right. Okay. So do you think you take this after your parents? Are they also like, you know, they love to write, they love to read and everything? Because usually it's the parents that ingrain these, you know, habits in their children. I would say so, yes. My dad reads a lot. And my mom, I had, I think she has good language talents. She sings very well as well. Oh. But it wasn't until a few years back, uh, before my grandma passed away, I helped her write a memoir. So she was 93 back at the time, I think. And she kept telling us stories about her childhood, about how she was growing up. So one day I decided that I would invite her to write about her life. And she never really went to school because she was on a run for her entire life, mm. basically, until like she turned 30 or so and moved to Taiwan. And after I started reading her and helped her edit her memoir, I realized that I probably inherited the uh, writing talent from her because yeah. although she never really went to school, huh. she could write sentences that I don't think a lot of people can. So wow. yeah, I think family has a lot to do with, you know, what a child oh, okay. has. Okay. Okay. That is amazing. Wow. Never really gone to school and able to write that well. That's a, that's a prodigy. That's, you know, a gifted kid. <laughs> I was really impressed as well. Like uh, yeah. my grandma kept telling me how she tried to learn uh, words from the newspapers. Like she would bring the papers around and ask people what the different yeah, yeah, characters yeah. mean. And, yeah. Oh, okay. So she's got a good brain, you know, I guess. Very good memory. And yeah, very, very good, good memory. memory. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Okay. What kind of books did you like to read? Actually, all kinds of books, you're saying. Right. But mainly novels. Because uh, I guess I was interested in the story of people's lives. So biographies Through novels. Well. Novels, yeah. Well, I mean, usually I think of novels as being like fictional stories. True. But I think what can be imagined can be lived. So if a person, for example, if I write a story, then I think it's natural for readers to imagine, oh, so is this your life or do you want to live a life like that? A lot of times it's yes. 
Right. I think novels inspired imaginations, inspired people to live different lives. Even horror movies made from these novels. I don't know. I, I don't. I don't read a lot of horror, so because that was the first thing that popped into my mind. Now, anyway, I'm sure that my listeners got to listen to a bit of your English already, as I've said to you before the interview that I was really amazed by how fluent your English is. Even though you've only spent a year and a half abroad, and the rest of the time it's been you've been here home in Taiwan, has a lot of people told you that that your English is so good that it's you sound almost like a native speaker? Yes, I would say uh, since in, since high school. Well, you must be an inspiration to a lot of Taiwanese people because they all want to improve their English. Every one of them says that, but then they just I don't know they, they have problems with really speaking well because I mean I guess for one. And they will probably use this as an excuse because it's not an English-speaking environment. But still, um, what would you tell a Taiwanese who has never been abroad, who really wants to improve her English, and come to you and says, "Help me! How, what should I do?" What would you say? Okay, since uh, I run a school that teaches English as well, so I usually tell my students that if you're motivated enough, if you want to speak English or any other language well enough. Then I guess you will naturally try to create your own English-speaking environment. For example, I remember when I was in high school, I usually speak English to myself because I want to listen to myself. Do I sound similar to uh, the voice from the radio station, from the American TV series, things like that? So you record your own voice and then play back、voice. on it. Okay. Yes. Okay. Or I just murmur to myself in English to、uh-huh. see if I can just keep talking. Uh-huh. Uh, despite what I'm, whatever I have no idea. I probably had no idea back then what I was saying. Yeah. But I just wanted hear myself speaking English, and I think that would give me confidence to keep learning. Yeah. Yeah. So I would say, for example, a lot of our students at the moment they want to study abroad one day. I guess what I ask them to imagine is them speaking English fluently with foreigner people, communicating their thoughts, and if they can really picture that, I think they will have enough motivation, and naturally they will find their own ways to try to improve their English.、Mm. Despite the fact that in Taiwan it's maybe difficult to speak to other people in English. I think they can always speak to themselves. How do you speak to yourself? <laughs> you know, you just murmur. Just murmur. Yeah. For example, when I was learning、uh, Taiwanese or when I was learning Japanese, what I do is I wake up and I start murmuring in those languages to myself, to just again to hear myself speaking the language. I think that gives me confidence, even though I don't know a lot of vocab. I still, you know, try, try to try to keep it up. So, David, you were telling me how you just love languages and you've been self. Teaching yourself、uh, different languages, so you've ta- self-taught yourself Japanese, and you you're pretty confident in saying that you speak very fluent Japanese, right? I, I right? Say that.、Uh, didn't you say that before? <laughs> okay, Japanese was passable.、Uh, passable. Okay,、yeah. all right, all right. Well, so, what what other languages have you tried learning on your own?、Uh, I took Spanish when I was、okay. in university. Okay, but I failed that because、uh, I think back then I realized that the the. The way schools teach languages don't really fit me, because、mm. I think what was important for me in the beginning is to be able to speak. Yeah. Like, despite my grammar, despite my limited vocab, for me to hear myself speaking the language is is the most important thing. I don't mind not remembering a lot of vocab or knowing the grammar, knowing how to structure sentences. I think the first thing was that. But back then, schools usually focus on those things. So. Yeah. 
Um, that makes that um, reminds me. My daughter, one of my daughters, um, she actually took uh, Spanish just for fun. Just you know, before graduating, she thought, "Why not learn a language?" And so she took Spanish. And I actually told her, I said that uh, when I was in high school, um, we had to graduate with a foreign language, so we could choose Japanese. Or this was in Tokyo. I was told. That Spanish was the easiest language to learn mm-hmm. uh, if you want to be able to, you know, if you want to to graduate. Right. And and I told her that, but actually she almost failed Spanish because she found it really really difficult. And I'm thinking now of what you just said. Maybe it's the way it was taught. So she went into that class, think, really excited about learning the Spanish language, but coming out disappointed and discouraged. Yeah, maybe that's the problem. Right. Because am I wrong in saying that Spanish is like probably one of the easiest languages to learn out of all the languages in the world? Well, I guess that depends on the different forms of language. For example, are you trying to read in Spanish or to speak, speak in Spanish? Speak, I guess. I don't uh, know. From my understanding, the the way verbs change can oh, be difficult. Oh, oh, okay. So I think in the beginning of Spanish lessons, <laughs> okay. they usually focus on that instead of, for example, giving you sentences that you can actually speak directly to Spanish-speaking people. Mm-hmm. But back then, it was my first priority. Like, when I was in university, there were a lot of exchange students from uh, Spanish-speaking countries. So what I wanted to achieve was when I saw them, I could say hi to them in Spanish. I could have simple conversations with them in Spanish. That would make them happy, and that would make me happy as well. But when I was in that class, I didn't think it was the major goal of the class. Mm-hmm. All right, so... You're listening to In the Spotlight with Shirley Lin. I guess you know the problem it is with Taiwan is that it's all like passing exams, like that's the ideal. And so maybe these languages are taught so they can pass exam and go on, but um, but then you come out of it not even learning how to speak. I mean, maybe you can read and you can write, but then you can't really speak it, you know. And and I think that's the sad part. Okay, here's the thing. I think that Taiwanese people in general, their mentality is that kind of play through it in their mind. Let's say they're talking to a foreigner and the foreigner asks her a question and then they'll play through it in the mind. And if they're only 80% sure they got it right, they won't speak it at all. True. How do you help Taiwanese people overcome this kind of problem? I think to communicate more helps because I think what a lot of Taiwanese people have in mind is that they're taking an exam when they're speaking to foreigners. The foreigner will look down at them if they speak incorrect English. But usually that's not the case, right? When a person talks to you because this person wants to talk to you. Yeah. So it doesn't really matter because, you know, English is not yet an official language of Taiwan. So it's natural for you to make (laughs) mistakes. So I would say it's because most Taiwanese people probably don't have a lot of experience of making friends with foreigners. Mm -hmm. So they would think you might be judgmental if I speak English uh, with flaws. Right. Right. But once they actually start becoming friends, I don't think they will, they will see that people will be minding those mistakes I know. that much. Yeah, because I always try to tell them that don't be afraid to make mistakes. Just say it. You know, just open your mouth, just say it. And try not to think that you want to say it perfectly because once you say it, you'll feel better about yourself. Like, you know, at least I managed, you know, to get, what, 80% of it right, right? What are some of the problems you've encountered among your students, um, you know, at your cram school? Like, you know, um, if you've seen a kid uh, who used to be very shy and um, very um, lacking confidence in himself, but then later really improved a lot, 
I mean, do you have like that kind of story to share? A lot, I would say. Yeah, most people coming in with lack of confidence. I guess that's why they seek the help of crime schools in the first place. But I think after some introduction of the test as well as languages, they gradually learn that we learn a language not to pass exams but to communicate. Mm-hmm. So I asked them a simple question: What do you think people care about when people communicate? They care about two things, right? They're Content, what you say, and your voice, how you say things. They usually don't care about the minor mistakes, like grammatical mistakes that you make.、Oh. Right, for example, if I ask you a question, "What did you do last last weekend?" If you said to me, "I go to a park," I wouldn't say, "No, no." I ask you, "Last weekend?" It should be past tense, but people、right. would think that in their minds in the beginning.、Right. So if I tell them it's okay for you to say, "I go to a park," "I have fun," "I meet my friends," right? right? Because people would say,、oh, "Good for you." Yeah. So after they change their mindset to know that the goal is to communicate. If people can understand me, then it's good enough. Of course, you can be better, but for you to have confidence in your voice, for example, for you to be louder, for you to make changes in your voice to have intonations instead of give your answers or speak like you're reading from a textbook, that will help. Because I think in the Taiwanese education, people don't really focus on how you sound. People mainly focus on what you should be. Saying. saying, right. So、yeah. for them to understand that and to practice in class and after class, I think it helped both their English and their Chinese because they would be telling, for example, when you speak Chinese, when you present in front of the public, like in school or at work at a job interview, what, what you want to do is to sound confident, to be confident, to look confident.、Mm. Right. That usually is more important than、mm. the things that you say. Yeah. You know, after people can visualize that, they can try to be like that. So. I would say what I want people to leave with after they have classes with me, or after they have talked, and maybe after listening to this interview as well,、mm-hmm. is to be more confident. They might not speak better English, but for them to be more confident, they can present their ideas and thoughts better. I guess that's what I want to do. Wow, you're a good teacher. You say some of the right things, you know, and I think I even learned something from you. Yeah. Thank you. Next week, we'll be hearing from David Ting talking about how he was a youth ambassador. For In the Spotlight, I'm Shirley Lin. The sound of the Puyuma tribe on Radio Taiwan International. Buttons on RTI's new website for those are for Facebook, Twitter, and other social media. You can share RTI content with the click of a button. You mean like this? Yep, just like that. Visit english.rti.org.tw.
Classic Shorts: Stories from Chinese History and Literature. Hello and welcome to Classic Shorts. I'm Natalie So. The Tang Dynasty was filled with great poets whose works live on throughout the centuries until today. One of the lovely things about them is that they even wrote poems to each other. Li Bai is one of the most renowned poets of the Tang Dynasty, and Meng Haoran was his contemporary and about ten years older than Li. Today we look at a couple of poems that Li Bai wrote to Meng Haoran. The first poem is called "Send as a Gift to Meng Haoran." He wrote, "I love and respect." Master Scholar Mong, his legend known throughout heaven and earth. At a young age, he already had forsaken the fancy carriages of the palace elite. Without an official position, he lies down among the pines and clouds. Frequently drunk under the moon, yet retained his orientation and judgment. Lost among the peach blossoms, not a government bureaucrat. Admire him, who towers above tall mountains. With respect, I bow to him and his purity. Mong actually failed in his political ambitions, as you can see in the poem, but he had quite an influence on the poets of the Tang Dynasty. He was known as a landscape poet, and much of his poetry was focused on describing his sentiments in the midst of nature. Politically, he began working as an official only three years before his death, and he resigned after less than a year. But even the greatest poets like Li Bai hold him in the highest regard. Here is another translation of the same poem. A gift to Meng Haoran by Li Bai. Master Meng, my heart hails you. Your fame rises to the heavens. With youth's impotence, you turned away from the emperor's kind hand, choosing woods and clouds, and now, white-haired, moon drunk, flower bewitched, a sage of dreams. But deaf to the emperor's ear, how I long to be with you, high in the mountains, to breathe in your sweetness, even here. As you can tell, Li Bai had some deep sentiments for his friend Meng Haoran. He also wrote another poem calling Seeing Meng Haoran off to Guangling. This was at the scene of their departure, where there was a yellow crane tower. Meng was leaving Li Bai to take a 400-mile journey down the Yangtze River to Guangling. Li Bai writes, "You left me, old friend of the West, at the yellow crane tower. In spring." Going to Yangzhou in a cloud of flowers, 
your lonely sail, a speck against blue sky, disappearing. Until now, I only see the Yangtze and the sky. The Yellow Crane Tower was a sacred site, actually, of Taoism. It's considered to be one of the four great towers in China. And each of its floors are said to resemble a yellow crane soaring into the sky. Nibai climbs the yellow crane tower to look for his friend's boat as he leaves. But all he sees is a speck of sail and the Yangtze River flowing into the horizon. Here's another translation of the same poem. Seeing Meng Ran off at the yellow crane tower. My friend has left the west where the yellow crane towers. For river town, green with willows and red with flowers. His lessening sail is lost in the boundless blue sky. Where I see but the endless river rolling by. This poignant poem has another translation I'd like to share by well-known American translator Witter Binner. You have left me behind, old friend, at the Yellow Crane Tower, on your way to visit Yangzhou. In the misty month of flowers, your sail, a single shadow, becomes one with the blue sky. Till now, I see only the river on its way to heaven. Those are the poems that the great Tang Dynasty poet, Li Bai, wrote to his fellow poet and friend, Meng Haoran. Thanks for tuning in The Classic Shorts. I'm Natalie So. to News Playlist. We've queued up some of the most interesting reports for you, brought to you by Radio Taiwan International. Welcome to News Playlist. I'm Paula Chow, the program host. Today, I will begin the show by talking about how Taiwan's beloved health minister Chen Shizhong has become a trendsetter as he travels to Tainan to promote domestic tourism. With COVID-19 contained, Health Minister Sun Shizhong is now promoting domestic travel. Look at his bag. It resembles a tin of Tainan milkfish. He says if we're in a good mood, it helps prevent disease. Milkfish are popular in Tainan. Mr. Ke says milkfish are an important element of Tainan, so why not make them into a handbag? 
Minister Chen is also setting fashion trends. If you look closely at the pattern on his shirt, you'll see black-faced spoonbills from Tainan's Chigu Lagoon. Ke said he gave the shirts to Mr. Chen. That was smart because Chen has become quite the celebrity. The head of Tainan's Cultural Affairs Bureau, Jason Ye, says the black-faced spoonbill shirts have become very popular. They're sold out, but they are taking phone orders. And the straw hat Chen sported? They're sold out, too. Looks like wherever he goes, whatever he does, Taiwan's beloved health minister is making a difference. Natalie So, RTI News. In Taiwan, roadside banquets are a traditional way to hold weddings or funerals. But with the recent COVID-19 pandemic, people are reluctant to organize or attend such large-scale events. Now chefs that cook for roadside banquets are hardly making a living. However, one chef in Kaohsiung has come up with a creative solution to his financial woes. Crispy duck and braised pork belly are just two of the many popular dishes found at roadside banquets. That's right, roadside. In Taiwan, people set up tables and chairs on the side of the road, while a chef cooks in a makeshift kitchen off to the side. However, due to the COVID-19 pandemic, the roadside banquet business has taken a substantial hit. People used to ask Southern Taiwan's chef Hong Hui-shong to cook for hundreds of people at a time. But over the past few months, he has hardly made any money from catering. Chef Hong has now come up with a solution. He has set up a kitchen outdoors and started selling his food at a roadside stall. Though not as lucrative as banquets, Hong is receiving an average of 100 orders a day over the phone. Some people even come from the other end of the island to purchase Hong's food. Hong said even though the government will ease quarantine restrictions next week, he expects it will take a few months for his catering business to return to normal. But for now, it looks like the food of roadside banquets will survive the pandemic. Shirley Lin, RTI News. Taidong County is welcoming the return of an art festival designed to get art lovers moving. Artists have placed large-scale works as scenic spots along a stretch of rural highway, encouraging exploration, reflection, and this year especially, relaxation. Taidong County is an oasis of calm in a chaotic world. It's filled with soothing natural beauty, offering inspiration to artists from around the world. Last year, the county hosted the East Rift Valley Land Art Festival. Artists set up large-scale works along County Highway 197 for those passing through to admire. This year, the festival is back, with some favorites from last year and a few new pieces joining them along the route. Among the new works is a giant fisherman made of driftwood. This pensive figure sits at the edge of a pond, inviting viewers to sit down with him and ponder life. Amis artist Talaluki says the part that took the longest to get just right was the giant's thoughtful expression. Another new piece is a sculpture made of traffic mirrors by British artist Martin Barrett. He hopes the work will do more than just reflect its surroundings. He wants viewers to reflect on themselves, too. Then there is a curtain of clay tiles by artist Ye Haidi. She used Amis pottery firing techniques to create 700 clay tiles. Then she strung them up with Raimi thread. The result is a striking sight that also produces a soothing tinkling sound in the breeze. John Van Trieste, RTI News. A civic group is calling on the government to take steps to protect foreign fishermen, whose rights have long been ignored by the Fisheries Agency and the National Immigration Agency. 
In a video, a foreign fisherman was talking about his plight after being released from quarantine. At a press conference on Tuesday, a labor rights activist accused Taiwanese brokers of exploiting and keeping a tight control on foreign fishermen. They are fishermen working for Taiwanese whose boats are registered with another country. As of May, there are 228 Taiwanese fishing boats like that. The COVID-19 pandemic has made life very difficult for foreign fishermen. Without an entry visa, they are not able to enter Taiwan after being released from quarantine on the boat, nor can they return to their own countries. A representative with the Taiwan International Workers Association says it's not that foreign fishermen are trying to enter Taiwan illegally. She says there are simply no rules governing fishing boats registered with a foreign country. Labor rights activists said about 140 foreign fishermen were denied entry to Taiwan last month. They were also not able to go home. Activists urged the government to take steps to help foreign fishermen facing this dilemma. This is News Playlist, a weekly rundown of some of the most interesting news reports brought to you by RTI. Watch along on YouTube if you like, or close your eyes and enjoy these stories by way of sound. Taiwan's print media is losing out to online outlets at an accelerating pace. The United Evening News, a publication, that serviced Taiwan for 32 years announced that it's ceasing operation. A shift in reading habits among the public is prompting advertisers to divert their budgets toward online channels. The United Evening News is a print publication that was founded 32 years ago in Taiwan. However, the editor-in-chief says that it's ceasing operation on June 2nd. Traditional print media in Taiwan is losing out to online outlets. The harsh reality is that people now prefer getting their news online. Advertisers are becoming more aware of this fact and have shifted their budgets accordingly. A Taipei Media Agency Association report says that in 2016, online outlets took in over 861 million U.S. dollars in advertising, while print media only managed to take in 170 million U.S. dollars. Scholars predict that online media will completely dominate the advertising market in a few more years. Between 2001 and 2018, 14 major print publications in Taiwan went under. However, news companies Companies understand that the times are a-changing and they're making their own adjustments. The United Evening News says that it's retaining its staff and developing new digital products to stay in business. Leslie Liao, RTI News. As Taiwan works to decrease its reliance on fossil fuels and nuclear power, much of its attention has been focused on wind and solar power. But Taiwan is also sitting right atop another rich source of green energy. And now a project is underway that will try to tap into it. The government's plan to phase out nuclear power in Taiwan by 2025 has set an ambitious target. By that date, according to the plan, Taiwan is supposed to be able to meet 20% of its energy needs with clean, renewable sources. But there is a problem. Taiwan's capacity to generate power from wind and solar energy is limited. One possible solution now being explored is right beneath our feet, geothermal power. On the outskirts of Taipei Wednesday, drilling work began for a pilot project to build a geothermal plant. The site of the project is the Datuan Volcano Group, believed to hold 70% of Taiwan's potential geothermal power. The project's immediate aims are modest, generate enough power to meet the monthly needs of around 3,400 households. 
The CEO of an energy company involved in the project says getting the plant ready could take two to three years. But Professor Song Shengzhong of National Taiwan University's Department of Geosciences says the project will not be without its difficulties. Song says project planners will have to find a way of dealing with the corrosion that acidic fluids will cause to machinery and pipes. John Van Trieste, RTI News. And that's all we have for this week's edition of News Playlist. I'm Paula Chow. See you next week. Bye bye. You're listening to Radio Taiwan International from Taipei, Taiwan. Once they act the tax effect, Hong Kong people will lose their basic democracy in Hong Kong. China will no longer keep its word. Hong Kong is ruled by Hong Kong people. If China breaks its promise, how can other countries place their trust in Beijing? Hello and welcome to this week's online brought to you by Radio Taiwan International. I'm Carlson Wang. Taiwan condemned China for passing the Hong Kong Security Act on May 28th. Taiwan's Mainland Affairs Council, a semi-government agency in charge of cross-strait relations, said the passage of the law betrays China's promise that Hong Kong would remain autonomous for 50 years and it shows one country, two systems formula does not exist. The U.S., along with major countries such as the U.K., Australia, Japan, and Canada, expressed grave concern as well. The U.S. threatened to withdraw Hong Kong's preferential trade and financial status. To find out more, we are joined today by Professor Edward Ishin Chan, a Distinguished Chair Professor of Political Science Department at Chinese Culture University. And Professor Chan obtained his Ph.D. in Political Science at Columbia University in the U.S. Professor Chen, Hong Kong Security Act was passed on May 28th. Why mm. has it caused concern for the people of Hong Kong? First, uh, I think uh, uh, once the act uh, takes effect, uh, Hong Kong people will lose uh, uh, their freedom of uh, speech, their freedom of uh, assembly, and uh, most importantly, basic democracy uh, in Hong Kong. And uh, second, I think China will no longer keep uh, its uh, words. Hong Kong is ruled by Hong Kong people. If uh, China breaks its uh, promise, how can other countries uh, place their trust in Beijing? Uh, this is second. And the thirdly, I think uh, uh, one country, two systems will soon be replaced by one country, one system. Uh, this is uh, something uh, uh, most of the uh, other countries cannot accept. And this act has also caused worries around the world, especially some major countries such as Japan, Canada, Australia, mm -hmm. Hong Kong, and the UK. Why? Uh, I think uh, first, uh, 
uh, once the uh, Hong Kong Security Act uh, is put into practice, uh, these countries, uh, including the United States, uh, Japan, and uh, Great Britain, will lose uh, uh, their influence on Hong Kong. And uh, secondly, uh, they will lose uh, their economic interest uh, or benefits uh, in Hong Kong. And the third, and most importantly, they will lose a, a very important channel through which they can uh, exert their influence on China. But why is it more worrying on the part of the U.S.? Uh, U.S., uh, okay, uh, actually, is, uh, is, is the most active country in the world, uh, in Hong Kong. And uh, uh, once the uh, Security Act is uh, put into practice, the U.S. will will not have uh, uh, sufficient power to influence Hong Kong uh, people and Hong Kong future. And uh, the U.S. Uh, uh, if, uh, if particularly when the United States uh, is abandon uh, uh, abandon uh, Hong Kong's uh, special trade and economic status, the United United States will lose a lot of uh, economic uh, benefits from Hong Kong. One key element of the Hong Kong Security Act is that anyone who undermines the power of the central government of the People's Republic of China using violence against people or even trying to wake away, break away from mm. China is punishable by this act. So that means this is also targeted to people who are on the street for demonstrations. Is that correct, Professor Chen? Uh, yes, uh, I think... Uh uh, according to the spokesman of uh, uh, MOBA and Ministry of Foreign Affairs uh, uh, in China, China will take uh, countermeasures to retaliate or uh, against uh, the United States after uh, the United States uh, uh, decides to present its uh, economic and political uh, sanctions against Hong Kong and and China. Uh, so I think. Uh, uh, many people on the street uh, to uh, express uh, their ideas uh, are worrying that uh, they will lose uh, their freedom of uh, speech and the freedom of uh, assembly in future. The U.S. has already tried to impose sanctions on Hong Kong. The U.S. has eliminated special treatment for Hong Kong. Now, was that what? What does that mean for Hong Kong, Professor Chen? Okay. So far, we, we, we still don't know uh, whether the U.S. will implement uh, such a sanction, particularly to, to force uh, Hong Kong uh, no longer enjoy the special trade and economic status because uh, President Trump has not yet given us details about uh, the implementation. So it could, be, could leave some room uh, for future negotiations between the two giant powers uh, in other, on other issues. So we still don't know if this will be used uh, by, by President Trump as a, a bargain chip when dealing with China on many other issues. But uh, anyway, if this, this uh, sanction uh, is uh, put into practice, then Hong Kong people, not only Hong Kong people, will lose uh, their economic benefits. Uh, but also China will lose its uh, economic benefits. But even the United States will uh, lose uh, their economic interest because uh, uh, Hong Kong is the, the place from where 
the United States enjoy uh, its uh, its favorable uh, balance of trade. So this, if it happens, will cause another Cold War between U.S. and China. Uh, uh, even uh, in the absence of uh, of a uh, uh, Hong Kong Security Act, uh, the U.S. and China will uh, be involved in a new Cold War because uh, there has been a strategic contradiction uh, between the two giant powers, and uh, they are at odds in on many other uh, issues, including long nuclearization in uh, peninsula, uh, Korean Peninsula. And uh, other issues like like trade issues or uh, intelligence uh, uh, property rights uh, issues. You're listening to On the Line, brought to you by Radio Taiwan International. I'm Carlson Wong, and today I'm speaking with Professor Edward Yixin Chan, a distinguished chair professor of political science department at Chinese Cultural University in Taipei. Professor Chen, joint declaration signed between the UK and China on the question of Hong Kong states that Hong Kong will enjoy a high degree of autonomy and its social and economic systems will remain unchanged for 50 years. What about now? Uh, Okay, uh, the Sino-British joint declaration on Hong Kong future, once uh, 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 it's promised uh, Hong Kong people that uh, they will enjoy autonomy uh, for 50 years, but now it uh, has been only uh, 23 years. Now uh, it is uh, it has things have changed. So I don't think that uh, China will care much about uh, Sino-British uh, joint declaration. Actually, uh, they even um, don't care about uh, U.S. and other uh, powers' uh, reaction on uh, their passage of. Uh, Hong Kong Security Act, uh, much less uh, Sino-British joint declaration. But most importantly, the former leader of PRC, Deng Xiaoping, formulated the one country, two systems formula, which guarantees the autonomy of Hong Kong for 50 years after the handover of Hong Kong to China in 1997. And you just mentioned, uh, Professor, it's been only 23 years now Mm -hmm. and things have changed. Now, does that mean that you cannot trust the PRC? Actually, uh, Deng Xiaoping, as a clever or wise leader, a political leader in China, made a promise which he could not witness or make it in a remote future. So I don't think that it was a mistake made by Deng Xiaoping. Instead, I think the current leadership in China have to be responsible for the passage of Hong Kong Security Act. Former UN ambassador to the United Nations, uh, Nikki Haley, said the passage of this law would endanger Taiwan. Do you think so, Professor Chen? In a sense, uh, her remarks uh, are quite reasonable because uh, China cannot retaliate against the United States, but it can uh, easily hurt Taiwan, Taiwan's interest. Therefore, uh, Taiwan should be very very be alert and careful about uh, what uh, China and the U.S. Uh, do in their next step. And uh, she also said that sanctions on China will prevent the military confrontations between the U.S. and China. Do you agree? Uh, I don't think that uh, 
uh, U.S. and China, the two giant powers, uh, where, which war uh, in the foreseeable future, because uh, uh, both of these two countries uh, have not yet uh, prepared uh, psychologically and uh, physically. Yeah. And during the inaugural speech uh, in May, President Chai Ing-wen of Taiwan said Taiwan does not accept one country, two systems formula. Now, with the passage of Hong Kong Security Act, does that make the public in Taiwan even distrust one country, two systems formula? Okay, uh, Li Keqiang, the Chinese uh, uh, premier, did not mention uh, one country, two system in his uh, uh, government uh, work report. But uh, I don't think that uh, China will abandon one country system, uh, at least for the time being. But actually, uh, once uh, the uh, Hong Kong Security Act uh, was uh, put into practice, how could we believe that uh, uh, one country, two system will be workable uh, in Taiwan? Because uh, if, if, uh, it, it cannot, cannot work in Hong Kong. It, it cannot work in Taiwan either. Yes, Taiwan has also laws and regulations regarding Hong Kong and Macau. And will the ratification of the law lead to the worsening of the relations between Hong Kong, Taiwan and China? Uh, I will say Taiwan, uh, under the leadership of Tsai Ing-wen, will not uh, uh, introduce uh, uh, Hong Kong immigrants uh, in a large scale. Instead, it will only allow uh, some uh, 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 Hong Kong political activists uh, to apply for political uh, asy- asylum uh, uh, so that they can be allowed to enter Taiwan because uh, Taiwan cannot uh, afford an uh, uh, immense uh, amount of uh, uh, immigrants from Hong Kong to Taiwan. With immigration, uh, is there another concern, for example, infiltration of uh, the Chinese spies into Taiwan by pretending to be political dissidents of Hong Kong? I think uh, so far, China has uh, dispatched uh, its uh, spy or uh, espionage agent uh, to Taiwan. Uh, So I I don't think that... uh, uh, there will be too many uh, spies from uh, Hong Kong when they apply for political asylum uh, because uh, uh, they are sufficient uh, spies from China and Taiwan. So I don't think that uh, uh, there will be too many uh, new spies uh, from, uh, from Hong Kong, uh, from all China, uh, when they make good use of uh, this uh, uh, incident. Mm-hmm. Professor Chen, do you think the Hong Kong Security Act will cause concern among countries that have sovereignty over the South China Sea? Okay, so far, I don't think that uh, they will have much impact uh, on, on those uh, countries uh, who claim uh, their sovereignty over China Sea. Uh, nonetheless, uh, I think they would uh, watch carefully about uh, what the U.S. and China uh, will do in their next step. And uh, if uh, China uh, China turns out to be uh, uh, weaker after the incident, I think that they will make uh, even powerful or stronger uh, claims over uh, over the so- over the sovereignty uh, of uh, China Sea, mm-hmm. than South China Sea.
We all hope that there will always be peace in this region. Yeah. And we've been joined on the phone by Professor Edward Yixin Chen, a distinguished chair professor of political science department at Chinese Culture University in Taipei. And that wraps up this week's On the Line, brought to you by Radio Taiwan International. I'm Carlson Wong. Thank you for listening. I'll see you next week. Bye. Thank you for listening to Radio Taiwan International, broadcasting from Taipei, Taiwan. Check out our website at english.rti.org.tw. Again, that's english.rti.org.tw for the latest news and features from Taiwan. You can also listen to our programs and watch videos as well. Our 60-minute English language program can also be heard every day at the following times and frequencies. In southern China and South Asia from 1600 to 1700 UTC on 9405 kHz. Again, that's in southern China and South Asia from 1600 to 1700 UTC on 9405 kHz. And in Southeast Asia from 0300 to 0400 UTC on 15320 kHz. Again, that's in Southeast Asia from 0300 to 0400 UTC on 15320 kHz. We'd love to hear from you. Please send your comments to P.O. Box 123-199, Taipei, Taiwan. Again, that's P.O. Box 123-199, Taipei, Taiwan. Or send an email to rti at rti.org.tw. Again, that's rti at rti.org.tw. Also visit us on Facebook. The address is fb.me forward slash Radio Taiwan International. Once again, on Facebook, we're located at fb.me forward slash Radio Taiwan International for videos, photos, and news of interest from Taiwan. Thank you once again for listening to Radio Taiwan International. Thank you.